Hello and welcome to The Spectator's Americano podcast, a special series of discussions about the biggest political event of this year, the 2016 US presidential election. My name's Freddie Gray and I'm deputy editor of The Spectator. Today I'm joined here at The Spectator by Marcus Roberts, who is International Projects Director for YouGov. And Marcus uh, spoke to us a few times before the American election and rather promised that he would eat his hat if, if Donald Trump won. <laughs> and so, Marcus, here you go, a belly full of hat. What do you think went wrong? Why did you get it wrong? Back when I worked for the Democratic National Committee in the 2000s, I actually was given by one of my bosses a uh, Democratic donkey baseball cap. And I got it out the other day to try and bring it in to eat it. And I munched it once and discovered that it was a little too tough, even for my tastes. What did we get wrong? We got wrong, and we being the polling industry as a whole, the idea that white working class males in suburban and ex-urban areas of the Rust Belt wouldn't vote in super numbers Mm. and wouldn't break for Trump by decided margins. We got wrong that the early vote patterns that we had seen develop over 2004, 2008, 2012 would stay roughly within the norms and would constitute um, a greater share of the overall electorate come the final result of the election than they actually proved to be. So a lot of my confidence in Hillary Clinton vote that we talked about a lot was based on those raw vote tallies. But what happened on election day was just this wave, this wave of a lot of white working class males who often don't turn up to the polls, turning up to the polls and breaking Trump in a big way. Yeah. But you knew, I mean, you always said you knew that there was this sort of possible hidden factor of, of the, the non, usually non-voting white working class males. But presumably, that, I mean, they would never have been early voters. So it should have been possible to tell that the early voting pattern wouldn't have that ingredient in it. Yes, that's, that's absolutely fair. And I think this speaks to one of the biases that all of us involved in politics after 2016 really need to be honest about and address, which is when we can't imagine an unthinkable event, when we look at the data, we tend to find ways of seeing the paths to the thinkable rather than the unthinkable. Now, in my small defense, I think the very last thing I said to you was that if Trump were to win, he would have to win by drawing this perfect inside straight across the Rust Belt, winning states that hadn't been won since 1988. And that's indeed, by the Republicans, and that's indeed what he he pulled off. Um, But more encouragingly than improving our own intuition or suppressing our own biases Mm. is the fact that we see a lot of the people who did call Brexit right and did call Trump right, I'm thinking actually indeed of of, of YouGov's own Freddie Sayers in this respect, were doing it based off modelling rather than polling, looking at the fundamental demographics and socioeconomic structures that underpin voting and how those voters might be expected to break, even absent the candidates and the campaigns. So modelling can be encouraging there. And and YouGov's modelling was telling us throughout that Hillary was was in trouble in Pennsylvania and was having a tougher time in the Rust Belt states than our polling was indicating. Mm. And so there's problems in terms of the polling questions that we ask and getting that right. But I'm pretty sure that the combination of understanding the white working class male phenomenon, improving our modelling still further, and asking perhaps different questions in the future to get more accurate poll results in terms of answers from these voters will enable us to do a much better job in 2017 than we perhaps did in 2016. 
that's interesting because I thought the modelling was where it started to go wrong. I thought the sort of straight, you know, the LA Times poll was quite a sort of straightforward online poll, and that's the that's the one that got it right. I mean, let's let's probably bank the LA Times poll because there are certain problems with their their sample size. They had a uh, an African American twenty four year old from Detroit voting for Trump, and I can assure you, he was not representative of African American young men in Detroit. Yeah. Um, that said, there were some people, as you say, who arrived at the right result via the wrong method. As we do our inquest into all of this, I'm more interested in finding those people who got it right via the right method. Mm. To their credit. Even even the dread alt-right Breitbart news with their Gravis polling, which, which I mocked muchly during the campaign, mm. had a better sense of the voter filter that actually ended up being true than a lot of very strong traditional Democratic po- po- pollsters like PPP. How did they do that? They said that the electorate isn't going to be as Hispanic, isn't going to be as young, isn't going to be as African-American, isn't going to be as female as you think. And in all of those instances, your margins aren't actually going to be quite as dramatic as you're expecting if you're a Democrat. Mm. Um, So it's interesting to find out why even people who may have very strong political agendas were able to work out what was going on and why they got it right. Yeah. And let's go back to the African-American voters, because actually that's one thing I didn't see any polls really picking that up. I mean, we talked about the white working class, but the African-American vote being slightly higher for Trump, I didn't see that anywhere. I mean, some polls were suggesting sort of zero percent for Trump on the African-American vote in certain states. Yeah, and, and just I, didn't happen. I would raise a note of caution even in examining the exit poll data when it comes to the African-American and Hispanic uh, numbers. Mm. I think that you're going to see a lot of fluctuation even for the next few weeks as we as we really pour into this. We have Mm. to be very careful about saying too much about the impact of whether Trump overperformed in one ethnic minority group or another, because Mm. the margins and the data that we're handling are quite small. That said, it is clear that Hillary Clinton failed to perform as well as Democrats expected her to amongst key groups of her coalition, probably less so on the ethnic minorities side and more so particularly amongst young people. Mm. If you even just turn the dial slightly amongst millennials, by by a quarter point in some of these states, you begin to see very different results. Young people not turning out had a huge effect on making Donald Trump president. Yeah. And looking ahead to 2017, there's going to be some pretty big elections, France, uh, Germany. What are you going to, I mean, are you confident now that your models can be reset or you can analyze them in a more sophisticated way? My own personal New Year's resolution is to never be as confident about any election ever again as I was last time. (laughs) So I'm going to try for a start to be a little more humble as a pollster, if that's even possible. That said, I think we can do a better job. And I think we can do a better job because we have a lot of rich um, experience from the Brexit Trump phenomenon that's going to be really important for judging how the alternative for Deutschland is going to perform uh, in the German elections in October, for how Marine Le Pen is going to perform in, in all likelihood the presidential runoff mm. this summer in France. And and one of the things that we should do, and this comes back to that biases point, is we should ask ourselves the question, what does it take for these alternative uh, political candidates to win? And we should try and find paths 
for them to win and then work back the problem to ask ourselves is pulling up asking the right questions that could actually produce that scenario not because we desire it but because it is a potential likelihood and things like the fact that with france it's very possible to imagine a scenario in which the socialist voters don't turn out for a self-proclaimed Thatcherite mm. right-wing candidate that is not Le Pen in a way that they were willing to turn out with clothes pegs on their nose in 2002 for Jacques Chirac because he was a Gaullist. But it's one thing to be a socialist voting for a Gaullist in the face of a fascist. It's another thing to be a socialist voting for a Thatcherite in the face of a fascist. What you might do and what we might see is a lot of socialist party voters in France not turning out to the polls. And that could that could create a path for a Le Pen victory. I'm not saying that is probable. I'm saying that is possible. Equally, in Germany, it, we know that these alt-right parties and alt-right candidates perform better in the final stretch mm. than their polls suggest, that the more media they get, the more momentum they seem to gather. And as a consequence, they often overperform their polls in final numbers. So if we see AFD polling at 14 or 15 points in the German elections come late summer, early autumn, then we might have to prepare ourselves for the prospect that they end up scoring in the high teens mm. and, and start really biting at the heels of the SPD to be Germany's second largest party. Again, that is not probable, but it is possible. Do you have a concern, particularly with these so-called populist movements, that the trouble for you as pollsters is you're just being lied to? It's not that you can't pick up these people because they aren't, they aren't voters for, it's just that people now are quite willing to lie to you because they would see you as a pollster, as part of some sort of establishment that they have no duty to be true with, to, to answer honestly to. Um, I think it's less to do with lies and more to do with non-participation. So YouGov's chief scientist, Doug Rivers, who actually works uh, out, of, uh, out of Stanford University and with the Hudson Institute, so no great liberal bastion over there, um, has done a lot of studies into this since November 8th. And his main conclusion was that when news was good for Democrats, Republicans stopped answering pollsters' questions. Mm. And when news was good for Republicans, Democrats stopped answering pollsters' questions. So we've got a participation problem, perhaps, mm. that is, is more important than a veracity problem. And there's a lot of things that we can do around panel recruitment as an online pollster that can help address that and ensure that we're getting right, the right panels. And also we can be more wary in the future that if we see a, a significant change in the composition of the people answering our questions after a major recent news event, for example the uh, Access Hollywood re revelations that, that the Trump campaign faced uh, about his comments about grabbing women. Now, now, what we can do in the future if that were to occur again is say, look, we were looking at an electorate that looked like this on Saturday night, then the story broke on Sunday, and our electorate now looked like this on Monday. And that is a big difference. Mm. Therefore, let's have a look at that poll answer again in the context of what it would still look like if we if we filtered by Saturday rather than filtered by Monday. And that's the kind of change that you can make to try and get a more accurate picture rather than something that is just caught up in the Sturm and Drang of every media cycle. Yeah. And I'm gonna I know you're not you don't want to be confident about anything, but I'm gonna ask you to do a prediction for next year. And you don't even have to put a hat on it. Uh, Marine Le Pen or Francois Fillon, who will be or perhaps um, someone else? Who will be French president at the end of next year? Fillon to win narrowly by two or three points. And in Germany, what's going to happen? The AFD to be knocking on the door of 20% mm. 
and the SPD to be down to the very low 20s. Okay, we've got it on record, and we'll talk again in the in 2017, I'm sure. Marcus, thank you very much for coming in, and I think you're always very humble in your predictions. So, Well, I'll try and improve even further, but thank you for having me back, despite it all. And just a reminder that you can subscribe to this podcast anytime on iTunes, and please do. <laughs> <laughs>